Today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. As today we get to cover that great verse in Jeremiah 29 11. I know you guys are familiar with that one, right? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil. It's just a beautiful, beautiful passage that I think God, we're going to see as we go through this chapter, one of the things that's kind of cool is you're going to see how important this message is to God. It's super, super important because uh, when some of the false prophets try to take away the hope, uh, the truth, uh, it's crazy how God just says, okay, then, you know, um, you know, you guys are going to pay the price. And so watch what we read here. Jeremiah 29, look what it says in, in verse 1. It says, now, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so, again, just knowing what's going on, you guys, uh, Jeremiah is writing a letter. Uh, Remember, the first siege from Babylon came in 605 B.C., and they took away Daniel. They took away uh, some things at that point, but Israel still didn't get right with God. So there was a second siege in 597, uh, and they took uh, Jeconiah, also known as Coniah. They took him. They took more of the utensils from the temple. Uh, people like Ezekiel, that was taken. they were taken away in the second siege. And so this was written after that. And Jeremiah writes a letter to them over in Babylon. And just in case you're wondering, well, how did the letters get you know, delivered? Uh, correspondence actually wasn't difficult in those days. Diplomatic missions between the cities were regular. And that not only that, Jeremiah had friends in the government. And so uh, we're going to see there's actually three letters today in this one chapter. Okay, so Jeremiah is writing a letter. And this is what it says in verse 2. It says, this happened... After Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Okay, so you guys have been coming on Wednesday nights. You know the year, right? 597. So this is when it was written. You can study this if you want later on. Look up 2 Kings 24, 12 through 16, and you're going to see how they were carried away. And so this is when it happened. Verse 3, it says, The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So you guys know who was the last king of Judah? It was that guy right there, Zedekiah. So he's sending correspondence, right? It's, uh, it's communication. And so now this letter gets included it says in verse 4, so, so here's, the, here's, the, here's what we have the content. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom, notice, I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and, and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there in in Babylon and not diminished and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace." And so it's an interesting letter. 
You know, uh, you, you, you guys, we're going to see it today and as we continue through the book of Jeremiah that the false prophets in Babylon were telling the people that their time in Babylon would be brief. You guys are going there, but man, you're not going to be there long. And so uh, Jeremiah, who was God's true prophet, not a false prophet, he reveals in the letter how wrong they were. Um, to me, you guys know I'm weird, right? I kind of changed the word from Babylon to Babylon. It was going to be a long time. They're going to be there, okay? It wasn't just going to be, hey, you know, it's, don't worry about it. Just a couple of days and we're going to come back. No, it's going to be 70 years there. And so um, Tony Evans said, as a result of the damaging lies spread by false prophets like Hananiah, the exiles had been encouraged to become passive in their captivity, sitting around waiting for a quick release that wasn't coming. I mean, imagine you're going there, you're thinking, hey, we're not going to be here long. Why bother building a house? I'm going to kick it in my tent. And I don't need to plant anything, right? Because I'm not going to be here long. And so it's an interesting concept. Jeremiah says, don't, don't just live in tents, build houses, sow the seed. You'll have plenty of time to reap, many harvests to come. Go ahead, get married in Babylon, have children, teach your children the ways of the Lord. This is going to be important. Settle down for the long haul so you won't diminish, so you won't dissolve as a nation. And that's an interesting thing because if you knew exactly how much time, okay, the first siege was in 605. That's when the clock started, actually. So they would actually return from Babylon in 536. And so you get to do the math, and you know more or less when the time is going to happen. And so you're there, and you're thinking, well, I've got kids, and I've got grandkids, and we've got to make sure that they carry the faith. And so they're going to get plugged in. And it's an interesting concept. The whole, the whole way around is that they need to be strong. They need to live life. And they also need, we're going to see, to be a witness to the people that are there. And so it's interesting, even what we read in verse 7. Notice if you would look at verse 7. He says, and while you're there, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. And that, that's an interesting thing. You know, you get you know, taken away from your homeland a thousand miles away. You're in Babylon and you're there and I'm going to fight these guys. Man, I'm going to resist it tooth and nail. I'm not going to be seeking the peace of this pagan city. And, and God says, oh, yes, you are. At least you should anyways. Jeremiah, you have to tell the people to yield to the discipline and, and, and as they're there, and they're going to be a, a blessing, when that city is experiencing peace, then you will have peace when you stop fighting against God who is sovereign over your life. God who's trying to strip you as a nation from idolatry. You were, you know, sacrificing your babies to the gods of Molech. So much blood has been shed. And that's what we've been talking about, how in many ways, I think we can compare it to the United States of America. The rapture makes perfect sense, judgment to follow because of the babies, because of the blood, because of so much that's going on. And so, you know, that as a side note here, but, but the Lord says, but you guys are there. You're being disciplined. Accept it. Like, like, a, like a mature, mature you know, church should, uh, believers, followers of the Lord, accept that discipline and let me work in your life. And God did work in their life. He stripped them of idolatry. 
Because that's what they were guilty of. They were following all the pagan nations and their gods. And Solomon, unfortunately, introduced it. And it got to the point of Baal and Molech and all these things. But not anymore. You go to Israel today and they, they, you know, they don't know Jesus yet. But they're not guilty of this. Because God did this work of discipline in their life. Warren Wiersbe said the exiles were to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. They actually went on, and when you study uh, history, I was interesting, I was looking up some of the stuff, they actually went on to prosper in Babylon. They actually ended up doing good and being a witness. And so, you know, you look at that, um, and in one sense, and I know it's not the same, but, uh, you know, there's some similarities in our life. There you are, my friend, whoever you are, you are in one sense captive. You have a family that you're uh, attached to, and praise God for that. You know, you, you have a community that you live in. Um, you, you're in this world. Think about that. You're in this world. And, you know, I know other people, they are very much uh, uh, similar to this. They're in jail. They're in jail. And God is saying, wherever you are, wherever God has caused you to be carried away captive, don't fight it. You know, you got to seek the peace of the city where I've done this to you. Wherever God has caused you to be, whatever the situation is that you're in, you know, uh, unless the Holy Spirit clearly says otherwise, my encouragement to you is make the best of it. Um, be spirit-led in everything and watch what God does. You know, when you think about it, in one sense, there's something even that would go deeper uh, Tony Evans pointed out the fact that, you know, in one sense, this might even be like us in our current culture. He said one reason the wheels are coming off our culture morally is that for too many years, Christians have secluded themselves within their churches. We have abandoned the culture to Satan. But God's message is to pursue the good of the culture in which we live not necessarily the so-called good that the culture wants, but the good it needs. We are to pursue the social and spiritual well-being of the community wherever we live, work, and raise families. And the result will be improved lives for everyone. And this is why, you know, we're, we're doing the, the Dodger walk, you know, because someone might say, well, you know what, we got a church and we're going to hang out in our four walls and we're going to live in our cave and all that kind of stuff. And we're not going to have any contact with those, you know, and, 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 you know, again, the Lord has to lead everybody in these different situations. But, you know, for us, this is going, praying. Um, hopefully it doesn't escalate into anything weird. So if any of you guys are planning on going, make sure you pray about it first, because I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this, that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And so we're there. We're hoping not only that the Dodgers will hear our voice, or who knows, maybe other baseball teams will hear our voice, somebody will hear our voice, but especially that God will hear our voice because we can't do anything without God. But with God, I'm telling you this, he can change anyone, amen, like he changed Saul. He saved Saul. He can save Los Angeles. He can save California, he can do anything. And so this is really the main reason. 
And so we are not just going to abandon the culture. We're going to be salt. We're going to permeate as preservative, hopefully make people thirsty. We're going to be light in the darkness, you know. Um, as a matter of fact, there's this bill, AB665, if you guys aren't familiar with it. It's crazy what's going on in, Cal- in our legislation. June 13th, uh, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee from California, they're going to meet regarding this bill. And basically what this bill says is that your kid, 12 years old, goes to school, they're having mental issues, mental struggles, they meet with a counselor, and the counselor and the child, 12-year-old, they determine that your home is not a safe place to be. They don't have to have a conversation with the parent. It's not mandatory that they have a conversation with the parent. They just determine it. Next thing you know, they have a place for your kid to go. That's AB 665. It's going to pass unless something you know, crazy happens. So my encouragement to you, I have a phone number right here. You can call them. Uh, I think here's the number. Yeah, 916-651-4113, Senate Judiciary Committee. 916-651-4113. And you call them, and all you have to do is say, hey, can you? Um, I don't want you to pass that bill. You just leave them a message. And if they get hundreds and thousands of messages, maybe it'll turn the tide. Some people will say, well, I'm not going to call because it's not going to make any difference. And what, what, what Jeremiah is saying here, I think there's an application to this. Seek the peace of the pagan city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. Did you guys know that you were born at a certain time in a certain place, predetermined boundaries by God? God has you here for a reason. And so this is what he's telling them. Hey, as you guys go to, to Babylon and you're there, and I know you got false prophets who are telling you that you know, you're not going to be there long. You are going to be there for 70 years. And so you need to seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. Now, just as a quick side note, some of you guys already know this, but this was one of the verses the Lord gave to me when we began the church in Almani, it was before there was ever a Bible study, before there was anything. I remember I was uh, just walking down the hallway at uh, the church I was at, Calvary Christian Fellowship, and the verse, I was praying, Lord, uh, what should I do? What should I do? Should I go? Should we start a Bible study? Should I go street witnessing on Valley Boulevard? I didn't know what to do. And then a verse came into my mind, Jeremiah 29.7. I had absolutely no idea what that verse was, but the verse came in my mind. So I went back to my office and I looked it up in the Bible and it said, go. <laughs> it said, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to me for it, for in its peace, you will have peace. And that's how I feel. Like in Almani, I feel like, hey, I'm here, I'm captive. And it's a good thing. You know, Paul the Apostle said the same thing in Acts chapter 20, I'm bound in the spirit you know, and so in one sense, I know that's a side note, but this is so cool because as I go through this, I'm reminded of how God started the church here. And so, you know, Jeremiah tells them this. He sends them the letter. He, he tells them, don't be deceived, you guys. Verse, verse 8, Jeremiah 29, 9, 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Now remember, the Lord of hosts is not that he's hosting you to come over his house for dinner. That's not what that means. It's the Lord of heaven's armies, Okay the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. He's telling them, don't listen to false prophets. Uh, Don't listen to, it uses the word diviners or mediums or enchanters or whatever. You know, people, uh, I don't know, astrologers, dreamers. 
And it's interesting what he says right there, nor listen to your dreams, notice, which you cause to be dreamed. Because some people think, well, I had this crazy dream and it, it had to be God. And, and what Jeremiah is saying is there is that you can influence your dreams. If it's something that you really, really want and you go to bed and whatever, you dream about it and you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, that must have been God. No, Jeremiah says you caused it. And so we have to be careful that we don't over, over, you know, estimate what dreams are. They have to be tested by God's word. They have to be tested by prayer and the Holy Spirit. So, so be really careful of that. As a matter of fact, go back to Jeremiah 23, if you would, because some people, believe it or not, they're led by dreams. And Jeremiah 23 in verse uh, 28. It says, The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. And so you got some of those so-called prophets, they're just dreamers. And God says, okay, you go ahead and you tell your thing, but there's no substance to that. It's chaff. It's supposed to be blown away. The wheat is what has substance. He says in verse 29, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And so what we're saying here, what Jeremiah is saying here is, I know you got guys that are dazzling you with their dreams, or maybe you even yourself are having dreams. No, what I'm telling you, Jeremiah says, is the word of God. And there is a a just absolute huge contrast. And that's why it's so important for us, you guys. My encouragement to you is to really know the word of God. Read it uh, and heed it and love it and learn it and live it. Just your whole, man, for me, ever since I got a Christian, you know, 30-some years ago, just been reading the Bible, reading the Bible. And I thank God for that conviction. The Holy Spirit gave to me, but I think others also encouraged me in. Because then you can test everything. You can test everything. And so Jeremiah tells them, don't be deceived. Verse 9, he says, for, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And so you guys, um, same thing, be careful. Jeremiah tells them, don't listen to the liars. It won't be a a brief stint in Babylon. It's going to be Babylon in Babylon. There's a lot of purification that needs to take place, and that's not going to happen over a short period of time. And, And Jeremiah here, he gets specific, and he tells them it's going to be 70 years before they return. And so it's super easy to figure out how it works, and there might be a year or two you know, where sometimes we're trying to say, well, what about this? But in 605 BC, uh, from the first deportation to the time of their arrival back in Jerusalem, it would be 70 years. That would be 536 BC. And so Cyrus conquered Babylon. And so we see when Cyrus conquered Babylon, it was in 538 BC, right around there. And that was when they were allowed to then gather their things together And then it took some time for them to do that and then to go and to show up in Jerusalem 
and it would be 536 BC. It would be right around 70 years. And so we believe Ezra, who was the author of the Chronicles, he provides a theological explanation because it's interesting to me how the, the 70 years and the sevens, and we see that everywhere in the scriptures and how God works in sevens. But um, we know that as to the 70-year exile in Babylon, the reason why God sentenced them for 70 years is because Israel didn't allow the land to rest every seven years like they were supposed to when they were in the land. In the Old Testament, this was to be done every seven years, which provided a practical structure for land management, and the land was to be left uh, until life fallow. So again, we've talked about this before. Imagine, you guys, how awesome it would be if every seven years you got the year off. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> and you know, you're like, no, I can't do it. I'm going to have to plan because you're worried. No, God will provide for you, but they never did it. And so God is a just God. God is creative in his discipline. I'll tell you that, you guys. One of the things you'll see. And so what ends up happening is he gives them 70 years. So let me give you a few scriptures on this. Leviticus 25, 2 through 4. It says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. And you know, that'd be like, wow, that'd be cool. But why didn't they do it? Uh, two reasons. Number one, maybe uh, they, they, they didn't trust God. That might be the main reason. Well, I don't think we should do this because how are we going to you know, survive? And they may have had that whole attitude going through in, into the whole thing. Or maybe they were just they just got greedy, and sometimes that's what people they, they they work too much. They don't you don't need to work that much, but but you want to make more money. Why? Because you want to get more stuff, and you uh, God sees that, and you're going to pay the consequence for that eventually. Because you cannot serve God and Mammon. It's impossible. And so, anyways, that's the, that's the law right there. And God even specifically warned them later in Leviticus 26, 33 through 35. God says, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. So God gives them specifically what would happen if they didn't obey. And we read the actual account in Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21. It says, And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed the Sabbaths, as long as she de lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so one of the things among many things is, I'm, I, I just hope you're, you're, you're just amazed. I, I hope that it sinks in deep, the, the prophetic aspect of the Bible, how, how God will prophesy things and they'll come to pass. 605 B.C., 536 B.C., sure enough, just like clockwork, they showed up there in Jerusalem 
uh, fulfilled prophecy. Now, uh, another amazing prophecy, when we look at this, leading to even more prophecy, uh, if you would, maybe go to Daniel chapter 9. So go to your right, about two blocks, Daniel chapter 9. And remember, like I said, Daniel was taken to Babylon in 605 BC. Ezekiel was taken in 597. So Daniel has been there now for 66 years in Babylon. He's been there. And notice what he's doing. He's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. You know, and so it's a, a side note. I was reading one commentary and they thought, they thought it was just so... Uh, uh, commendable that here's a man, Daniel, Spirit of God, just an, an awesome you know, believer. But here, notice what he's doing. He's reading his Bible. And I think that's awesome. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how strong you are, my encouragement is you keep reading that word. That's what he's doing here in Daniel chapter 9. Notice what it says. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, notice, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem." And so it says that he, he closed the scroll and he jumped up and down and he said, hallelujah. No, that's not what happened. Notice what happens next is he prays it. He's like, Lord, you said 70 years and it's just about that time. You know, and so right around 539 BC, 538 BC, Daniel's been there for 66 years. It's just about that time. And Daniel says, man, that time is up, Lord. And he's reading the word, he's believing the word, and then what does he do? He prays the word. And it's just so cool because that one prophecy came to pass, and then as Daniel is there, if you read Daniel chapter 9, then the angel comes to Daniel, and notice what he gives to him, 70 weeks of Daniel. And you read the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and that prophecy is even more amazing because that one prophesied to the exact day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so, you know, to me, when we're reading these things, we're looking at the sevens and all that kind of stuff, you know, for, for me, God said, listen, uh, my word is true. There's no book like this. There is no book in the whole wide world where 25% of it is prophetic. And you can look at it, and this is why geniuses are Christians, because they understand, wow, it's an amazing thing, these prophecies that have come to pass. And so um, Daniel read it. This is what's going on. In 70 years, they would return. And then we get to that verse in verse 11. Look what it says, Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so how many of you here, I'm just curious, I know for a lot of you here, that's probably one of our favorite verses in the Bible. For I know God, this letter that God writes through Jeremiah to the people that are there in Babylon and, uh, you know, we're, we're here because we messed up. We're here because we blew it. 
Um, we're here, maybe they're thinking that God's done with me, that I have no future. And God says, oh, yes, you do. I need to discipline you, but it's only because I love you. I love you. And God says, I know, I know the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, he says right here. Thoughts of good, thoughts of peace, and not of evil. And so I don't know if you guys, you know, you know, we see that it's definitely directed toward Israel, but it's also directed to us as, as well. Did you guys know that God thinks about you? Did you guys know that? I mean, it's a trip when you, when you consider, like, for example, Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now, if you go back to verse 10, if you would go back to verse 10, it says, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. I am going to be thoroughly involved in your life. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to come over your house. I, I have this all set up. And so the psalmist is like, what am I? Who am I? And you might even look around the sanctuary tonight and you might be out there and you're thinking, well, who am I? And you might even be comparing yourself to the other Christians and you're like, well, I'm not as good as that Christian is or whatever. Sometimes people think things like that. Oh, it doesn't matter who you are. As a matter of fact, you might be out there, you're struggling as a sheep. You wandered and things and you're, oh, my future's bleak. And God is just saying, hey, you need to know that I am thinking of you. And I have this plan for you. And you need to make sure that we, we understand it's going to be 70 years. And so it, it's really interesting. Psalm 139, 17 is a cool verse also. 17 and 18. Notice what it says in the New English translation. It says, how difficult it is for me to fathom your thoughts about me, O God. How vast is their sum total. If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. I mean, you guys, this is the Bible. You know, and you may think that whatever, I have no future or whatever, I'm just kind of like, you know, forgotten by God. But right here, these guys who, like we talked about earlier, were offering their children to Molech. I mean, talk about the, 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 like the worst sin, so severe that they were actually, you know, catapulted out of their land. This is bad sins. God says, I still love you. And I am thinking about you that more than the sands of the sea. Scientists estimate that the earth contains 7.5 sextillion sand grains. And so that's, in case you're wondering, and I want you guys to put this in your notes, 75 with 17 zeros. Okay, write that in your notes right there. And God says that, that, that uh, my thoughts towards you are more than that. This is very important for us to understand. Not only does God think a lot about us, but he has nothing but, but good thoughts, thoughts of peace and, and not of evil. You know, for our future, God has this amazing plan, and we need to know this as Christians who maybe you're here tonight and you haven't walked, you know, the perfect line, and you're thinking, well, my, my future is, is really, like, ruined, and, and God is saying, no, let me give you this example, and, and it's not. I have plans for you. I'm thinking about you. It's a peaceful future. It's not evil. 
It's good. It's beautiful. You know, now, now in looking at this, I, I want to tell you guys this. Um, we can't have false hopes. We can't have false hopes. And so that's where the false prophets were, were messing up really bad because they're saying, well, it's not going to be that long. You know, it's just going to take a, a couple of weeks and you're going to be right where you're supposed to be or it's going to take a couple of months. And, you know, and sometimes people, if that's what the prophet tells them, you know, two months, you know, you're going to be right there, and, but it's not from God, then after two months, that guy stumbles. And God says, no, this is going to take some time. And you need to know this. You see, we can't have false hopes, like, like a brief stint there in Babylon. But, but, but the thing is, is that you don't go to the other end of the spectrum because some people, they have no hope. No hope. And that's not good either, obviously, right? You can't live without hope and not life to its fullest. You know, we talked about this before. You can go two months without food. Um, some of you guys can't go two days without food, but you know what I'm talking about, generally speaking, if you're forced to. Three days without water, they say. Uh, four minutes without oxygen, it affects your brain. But, but how can we hope without hope? We can't cope without hope. We need biblical hope, though. We need to know it's going to take time. God will discipline. God will chisel. God will deal with us. But he's got this beautiful plan uh, in uh, for our life. I was reading about uh, the uh, this psychiatrist Aaron Kirati, and I guess he wrote an article called Dying of Despair, and he observes in the article the startling rise in deaths from suicide and drug overdoses, and he points to a number of long-term studies that have analyzed the difference between high-risk patients who survive and those who actually die and commit suicide, and it was a 10-year span, and it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he's suffering, nor whether he's rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is when a person reaches a state of hopelessness, where you're out there, and not only are you saying, I can't do this, but God can't do this. And when you reach that, then you're in trouble. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for for suicide. Now, in a Christian realm, I mean, in one sense, you might call it spiritual suicide, where God had these beautiful plans for you, but you chose not to believe the prophet, and you chose not to believe the fact that he loves you, and he's always thinking about you. Now, when that theology finds a home in your heart, it changes your life. You know, this is one of the reasons, obviously, why Jeremiah 29.11 is just such an elevated verse in the days that we live in. It gives us hope. It gives us biblical hope that God hasn't forgotten us, that God has future plans. And there you are, you're sitting in jail, and there you are, you know, you're struggling and, you know, just can't not feeling it. And, you know, and God is saying, it doesn't matter if you're in Babylon, this is the message that you need to understand. He has high hopes, and I believe that when verse 11 it finds a home in your heart, verses 12 and 13 will as well. See, verse 11 has to be there, you know, God, where God is the initiator, where God is the lover, where God himself, holy, loving, perfect, powerful God, is constantly thinking about you. And he says, I want you to know this. And, and then that's when verse 12 and 13 they, they come and they, and they become powerful. It says, 
in verse 12, then you will uh, call upon me. God is making the prophecy. You will call upon me. Go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And, and, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, so, I mean, I think when an individual gets verse 11 in their heart, Verses 12 and 13 are going to happen. And it almost seems like God is saying, well, this is going to happen to you, Israel, one day. And I think that in one sense, we see the national application, but we also see, I believe, the the personal application. And that's my encouragement to you guys, to have verse 11 in your heart and then uh, follow through with verse 12. Call upon the Lord. Pray to the Lord. He's going to listen to you. It was just so cool before service today, seeing all the people come in for prayer. And I, and I know that all the people that were there for prayer before service today were there because they have the same like desire. Uh, and I know a lot of you guys have the same desire that I have. Like, God, we need you to do miracles. We need you to save people because we can't save them. Only you can. But if we pray, if, we, if you see that we have faith in you, that we believe in you, God then you know, you're going to move. And that's why prayer is so important. Not, not just prayer, but seeking the Lord. Because a lot of times we get our eyes on individuals and, oh, they're not perfect and they make you stumble and things like that. You can't. You have to seek God. You have to seek his face. And right here it says that if you do that, Lord, I want your presence. I want you, Lord God. I mean, Christianity is a a blessing. My brothers and sisters, I love them so much. But Lord, I want you. Then I think what he's saying right here is you, your promise is you have to do it with all your heart. And God knows if it's just a a leftover, lackadaisical. God knows whether or not it's sincere. But if you're here tonight and if you you can cultivate that desire, Lord, I want you, then he says, you'll find me. It's so true. Again, Tony Evans said, this demands more than attending church on Sunday, tapping our feet to the music, hearing a sermon and saying amen. Unless we commit our hearts to the Lord 24-7, then we'll be no different. But when we worship and obey the Lord through our day-to-day walk with him, he's ready to communicate with us. And here we see even reverse our circumstances. And it's a promise. Look what he says in verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. And that's interesting because that goes in the future. And from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And so it's a word of encouragement for the Jews, which reached far beyond that one prophecy there in Babylon, but obviously included included it. But God says, I'm going to put you back where um, this is your land. This is where the promised land. This is a land of milk and honey. I'm going to bring you you back. And so, Jeremiah, we're going to see this is very important. This is heavy. Look at verse 15. Jeremiah says, don't listen to the lies. He says here, because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, that would be Zedekiah, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, that's Jerusalem, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them 
the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Oh, I don't want to go to Babylon. Oh, I don't want to get disciplined. Oh, I don't want to be corrected. And what Jeremiah is saying is you're better off in Babylon. You're better off being disciplined. You're better off being corrected. These guys that are in Jerusalem, Zedekiah, we're going to see he was a joke of a king. He didn't listen to Jeremiah at all. You know, he starts to you know, raise up these alliances with these other countries because he would not submit himself to God. And God just says, man, this guy right here and all the people that are following him, sword, famines, pestilences. We just got done going through, you know, what some might consider uh, an aspect of a pestilence. But imagine how, how, how worse it would have been there in the city of Jerusalem in those days. You know, it says right here, the, the land would be leveled. They would be in a, cur- a curse, an astonishment, a reproach, even a hissing. Now, we read that a lot of times in the Bible, right? Hissing. You're like, what do you mean hissing? Is that what they're going to do when they're going to walk by the city? But it's interesting, the word, it actually, I, I believe I was reading some uh, on this. It, it's, it comes from a word that means to whistle. Any of you guys are good at whistling? Go ahead, do a whistle. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, so in, in one, one, one of the guys was saying that the Hebrew word, it comes from the word to, to whistle, and there was a practice among the ancients. And so they would shake their head and whistle whenever they passed by the ruins of a village or a deserted city. It, to them, it was like a charm against suffering the same fate. And, and Jeremiah is saying, your city is going to be so messed up because you didn't want to yield yourself to the discipline that people are going to go by and they're going to be like, you know, whistling, hissing, whatever, um, because they don't want to suffer the same fate that you did. Because look at verse 19. Because they have not heeded my words. And let me just pause there for a moment and challenge you and challenge me. What has the Holy Spirit been telling you? Because if he hasn't been telling you anything, then I feel sorry for you because we have a relationship with God. He's always telling us things. And well, what are the things that he's saying? You know, you got to get right in this area and you're just resisting. What he's saying right here, they just would not listen to my word. There was Jeremiah speaking to them in their face and they wouldn't listen. He says right here, because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, when I sent them to them, my, my, my servants, the prophets, rising up early and send them and, uh, sending them, that means that they were eager, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and this is interesting, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Kolaiah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maasaiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. So let me just pause real quick and just basically point out these two prophets, or so-called prophets in Babylon, Ahab and Zedekiah, 
who were prophesying falsely, who they were saying, oh, it's only going to be a brief stint in Babylon. And he says, you know what? Let me talk about these guys. They're going to die. Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them. And notice what it says in verse 22. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon, notice, roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken nine words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. These guys would become almost like a, you know, hey, you know, when you, whenever there was like a curse, they would think of Ahab, they would think of Zedekiah. And if there was ever a curse, they'd be like, yeah, like Ahab, yeah, like Zedekiah. And it would last all that time. And we're going to see why. Because God doesn't want them to forget how these guys were lying. And it's a really interesting thing. God was calling Jeremiah to silence the false prophets and establish his word. In other words, this 70-year prophecy of hope and a good future for Israel was huge. Because, for let me just give you an example. Let's just say you go to one of those weird churches, Health, Wealth, and Prosperity Church, and you go there and you're sick and you've got cancer or something. And you go up to the pastor and the pastor says, hey, in order for, you need faith, man. You know, by his stripes we're healed. And, you know, it's a guaranteed promise. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And so you need to have faith. And so you're there and you're trying and you're praying and you don't get healed. And, you know, next thing you know, you continue to suffer. And you're there on your deathbed and you're like, man, I don't even believe in God. Because I was supposed to get healed. And, you know, that's what it says. And it ain't true. None of it's true. That's kind of why he's saying that. I was, I was, I was recently, I heard an account of a man who was able to survive a war camp and they asked him how he did it and, and how he was one of the few actually to be able to survive. And his response was interesting. He said, you know, there were many men who had hope for any day now, any day now we're going to get rescued. They thought they were being positive by saying soon and very soon, soon and very soon. He said, but they all died. He said he didn't put any type of timetable on it, that he had more of a realistic hope that said God doesn't might not be a week, it might not be a month or a year, it might take a long time, which it did, it took years. And that's what kept him alive. See, for us, I think a lot of times when we get false doctrine and we're like holding on to that, then you know, when it doesn't come to pass, we might stumble. My wife and I were watching a documentary the other day, and it was just horrible to see how this one church misrepresented Jesus. They did not teach the Bible. And next thing you know, these people who were deeply involved in church are now atheists. Now, some of them might say, well, they were never saved. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But I'm telling you this. This is why this is so important to God. These guys right here who are trying to convince you that it's going to be a brief period of time in Babylon, you can't believe that. You can't believe that because you're going to lose heart. So they're going to die. And they ended up dying. And it's so crazy because Zedekiah becomes infamous, right? These guys, because of the disgraceful death. And not just these guys. Look at verse 24. He says, You shall also speak to Shemaiah the Nehlamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, 
the God of Israel, saying, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem. Here's another letter. To Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, to all the priests, saying, the Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada the priest. Notice, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord, every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. And so this guy, Shemaiah, he sends a letter back to Jerusalem and he says it to the priests and to the people. And he says, man, you guys have the authority over this, this demented man named Jeremiah. He should be in prison. That's what he's saying right here. And so verse 29, it says, Now Zephaniah the priest read the letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, and this is the third letter, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehemite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehemite and his family. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment. And in my Bible, I just circled and his family. Because no one sins to themselves oh, I'm going to just go and do whatever I want to do, and you're not really led by God. You're not going to be the only one to suffer. Your family will. And so we see right here, his, and his family, he shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. And so apparently, the, just basically, the 70-year thing, which is very simple, from God was very important to them. That they would not diminish in the land, that they would pass the faith to their children who would one day return to Israel, that they would not be discouraged, that they would be a blessing even there in Babylon. A very important, God says, that they need to know the truth. And so very important to God. So these guys, these three guys, end up suffering the consequences for being uh, false prophets. And, and what really is the message uh, that, that God wanted them to, to hear from Jeremiah? It, it was just the, the message of, of hope, but not a false hope, because that'll set you up for a fall, a biblical hope. You know, we're not always going to get healed. We're not always going to get the things that we want when we want them. The biblical hope is God says, don't worry, I'm thinking about you. You are constantly on my mind, and I have a beautiful future for you. So trust me in this. Don't lose heart. Trust me in this. Later on, we don't have time to go there, but in Psalm 137, 1 through 4, you know, these guys in Babylon, they asked the people of Israel to sing a song there in Babylon, and they says they can't. How can we sing a song in a foreign land? 
You know, they're all down. They've got the willow trees. They're hanging their harps there. They can't sing in Babylon because apparently these people right here did not understand the message of Jeremiah because if they understood the message of Jeremiah, they would be able to sing songs in Babylon. Kind of like Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, after they had been beaten, they were there in the dungeon in the stocks. And what were they doing at midnight? They were singing praises to God. And there was an earthquake. How can you sing praises to God when things are not going according to your will in your life right now? And the answer is, just like we read right here, there is this hope that we have as an anchor of the soul. Our future is so bright that we all got to wear sunglasses. I'm telling you guys that right now, man. So let's do that. Let's do that.